practice medicine differently from other people. And what I do is good. And I'm good at what I do. And I don't have to do it like everyone else. Welcome to the Doc Working the Whole Physician podcast. I'm so excited today to be with my guest, Reverend Dr. Keisha Hartwick. And we're going to talk about what's faith got to do with it. And so, Keisha, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey in medicine. Well, I've been practicing a little over 20 years. Hard to believe for myself. And I practice psychiatry. I'm currently practicing in an emergency department. So I practice emergency psychiatry. Before that, I worked with assertive community treatment. Before that, I worked in the VA system, working with people with PTSD. So I've just been kind of traveling along this road in psychiatry for a long time. Well, let me ask you this. Why did you choose psychiatry? Oh, that's an easy one. (laughs) So when I decided to go into medicine, I thought I would do something very general. I thought I would come back home to my little tiny small town and be the town doctor and practice family practice. And what I found when I got into medical school is that I was so excited to get to all the clinical rotations once I got through the book work part. Mm -hmm. But when I got into those rotations, I was not loving it. (laughs) And I thought, oh my God, I've just made the biggest mistake of my life. And I kept having trouble in my rotations because I would be in talking with a patient, working on whatever they were there to work on for the day. And my preceptor always had to knock on the door and pull me out and say, "Um, you're taking too long. You got other patients waiting. So that was a problem (laughs) until I got to psychiatry. And psychiatry was the first place where I could sit and talk with people and not feel like I had to put the whole conversation into eight minutes or less. And I felt like I could not just address the issue that they came for that day, but really look at why that's an issue in the first place, right? So, you know, if Mrs. Jones came in because her blood sugar was high, they wanted me to just fix the blood sugar, but nobody was stopping to ask, why is the blood sugar high in the first place? What's going on in your life? And she wants to talk about how she's worried about her son and stresses at work and all of these things. And psychiatry, I found to be the only place that I could spend time with patients to actually address those things. So, so how does a psychiatrist become an ordained minister? Like, what was it for you? Was there a point in time where there were certain questions you needed to answer for yourself. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm just trying to get an idea because I mean, we're both ordained ministers and each had our individual journey with what that was for us. And I'm trying to get an idea of what that was for you. Yeah. It's hard for me to answer that question connected to psychiatry Mm. because I don't think psychiatry had anything to do with it. I mean, I became a minister for me, and I just happened to already be a psychiatrist, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. (laughs) But then the the question now is, how does it impact, and does it have an impact on 
your approach with patients? Oh, it absolutely has an impact. And even at the beginning, I kind of thought that I would be a practicing psychiatrist who was like a closet minister, if that makes sense. Like, I think I thought that my patients and my colleagues might never know that I'm a minister. Not that I would hide it on purpose, but it felt like two separate parts of my life. However, as I move through the process of being ordained, recognizing that every part of my life is ministry. So there's two ways that being a minister affects how I show up with patients. Number one, being a minister affects how I show up in my own life, how well I do with taking care of myself, how well I do with maintaining awareness of my connection with spirit, how well I do with keeping myself grounded and centered. Because the better I can be in those ways, the better I can show up for my patients, right? Mm -hmm. So that when I'm in the room, just me and the patient and the door closes, I'm not worried about and thinking about my issues, my life problems, my things. I'm able to fully focus on what is it that this patient needs from me right now and trusting and knowing that I'm fully equipped to offer whatever that is. And also knowing that Part of being fully equipped to offer whatever it is that the patient needs from me right now means that all of what that patient needs isn't just coming from me, like as a person, as a human, but it's spirit who's working through me to support this patient and to really make room for healing to happen. The pandemic, Keisha. Oh, this is a good one. (laughs) I mean, you're a psychiatrist in the pandemic, in the ER. And we are hopefully turning the corner on this thing called the pandemic. But you were also working in the ER in the middle of it. And although, you know, people might say, well, you're in psychiatry, you didn't really have to deal with the intubations and all this other stuff, but you are witnessing this at the same time. And witnessing also the psychological effects of this on physicians, on nurses, on patients, whether they came to you directly or they were on the other side of the ER. I'm not sure how it's configured. I'm assuming there was a separate COVID ward or something of that nature. What was that like for you in terms of kind of being a witness to all of this? I feel like we signed up for this as physicians. We signed up for serving. We signed up for taking care of people at their greatest moment of need. And even as a minister, it's like I've double signed up for that. (laughs) (laughs) You sure did. (laughs) So honestly, you know, it was a hassle donning the PPE and all the layers of masks and shields and, you know, Mm. taking one set of clothes and changing before I get into the unit and changing again before I get to my car and keeping a separate pair of shoes and, you know, like the things that we've kind of had to do to keep ourselves protected. It was a hassle. However, I felt and still feel very grateful and very humble for the opportunity to serve at that moment. Was it scary? Yes. Was it a hassle? Yes. Was it difficult? Absolutely. You know, people are worried about dying. And, you know, although as a psychiatrist, they weren't coming to see me because of a COVID positive status. I saw some people who had COVID positive status who didn't know until after I talked to them. 
you know, in fact, I picked up a lot of folks because we would screen people for COVID before we would admit them to the psychiatric unit. And they'd be all ready to go to the psychiatric unit and they'd come back with a positive test. They didn't know, we didn't know. And so now you're in the hospital for a different reason, (laughs) right? And it's interesting to see, and I saw this happen a few times, the people who came to the hospital because they were suicidal and they thought their life wasn't worth living. And I said, I'm gonna keep you in the hospital. I'm gonna admit you to the psychiatric unit where we can make sure that you stay safe. Mm-hmm. and help you get back to a place where you are no longer feeling suicidal. The moment that test came back positive for COVID, all of a sudden life was important to them. <laughs> I mean, really? Yes. All of a sudden. All of a sudden. <laughs> it's a different perspective, isn't it? It's a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what my interface with COVID looked like. Mm-hmm. I think my biggest, biggest area of service was with my teammates, the nurses, the techs, who spent more time in the room with patients than the rest of us do. They're the people that when the doctor leaves the room, the patient will say, can I ask you a question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. I think that the biggest toll has really been on them. So, you know, I just took it on as my personal project to just check in on my people, you know, my staff, my nurses, and and just check in with them and how are you doing and how are you managing? And to show them that even though the rest of the world gets to shut up in their homes and close off and don't have to come out, and we do, we still don't have to be victim to this experience, Uh you know? And we are called for this and God chose us for this. So we still don't have to be victims to this experience. Now, I know what you mean by that. At the same time, how would you encourage someone else to put that in perspective, whether it's a patient or a staff member? So I would remind the staff members that, you know, your presence here is important. And these patients need you. And what you bring and what you provide and what you bring to the table, if you weren't here to provide it, they wouldn't be getting all that they need. And honestly, I literally would say this very often. Everybody can't do this. You know, what we're doing right here today on this shift in this hospital, in this emergency department, everybody can't do this. But you guys can do this. You guys are doing this and you guys are great at doing this. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's the difference between having the perspective of, oh God, here we are. And it's so unfair that we have to be here. No, it's not unfair. It is what you were put here for. Mm. Did you have to remind people of that? I had to remind people of that, but I found Uh all I had to do was remind them. I didn't have to explain it to them because they knew. Right. You know what I mean? Because they were there. Because trust me, some people didn't stay. (laughs) Right. I can imagine. And, you know, sometimes you need to be reminded of things, especially in crisis moments. It's like, what the heck is going on? This is feeling overwhelming. What are we doing? What am I doing? You know, and being able to have somebody else come in and say, hey, remember who you are and why you're here. And sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget. And let me also add and kind of add that back to even my experience with patients, too, especially as it relates to the question of, you know, what does spirituality have to do with it? I think 
people forget that about themselves and whatever is their role in life. People forget. And part of my job is just to remind them. And I will often ask my patients, what's your spiritual life like right now? Mm. And they'll kind of stop and pause. I get a, a wide range of answers to that question. Any that you can share? Um, you know, it could be anything as general as there's nothing happening in my spiritual life right now. <laughs> to, oh my, I remember a patient who was in the emergency department because she was suicidal. She said, I don't think God hears my prayers anymore. Mm, and she was a minister too. So regardless of what my recommendations are to them, mm-hmm. you know, I might prescribe a medicine for them. I might not. I almost always remind them or ask them, you know, what is it that you do to keep yourself grounded and centered and help them come up with a few ideas that they can start or get back to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also work in an area where there's a huge Native American population, huge situation where just because of the cultural climate in this region, they often will try to live under the radar, if that makes sense. Mm. Like, I know I'm Native American, but when I go out in public, people may or may not know that about me. And often that feels like a safer option for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I always, always, always ask my patients who do identify as Native American, when's the last time you've been outside? When's the last time you've connected with nature? Because even if they don't have an awareness or feel a conscious connection between God and spirituality and nature, it's in their genes. It's in their ancestry. It's in their DNA. You know, their grands and great grands and great great grands didn't have a separation between nature and God. Mm -hmm. And so for them, that's often one of the recommendations I'll make to them. Just go outside, spend 10 minutes outside a day, 10 minutes. It can change your life. In the ER, it's kind of a triage situation. You're like, okay, well, this is the diagnosis and this is the recommendation. We either keep you or send you home. But you don't do that. It doesn't sound like that to me. I don't. Our hospital is a teaching hospital. So I have residents and students who come and they rotate with me. And I tell them on day one, I'm not typical. So, (laughs) So... If you pattern yourself after how I do things, you may or may not get good responses because I spend time with people. I might have 15 people waiting to be seen, but this person I'm in front of, they're going to get everything they need while I'm in front of them. The question I ask myself is, what is the most impactful intervention we can have with this person at this time? Because, you know, working in the emergency department, it's an opportunity and you got to take advantage of it because, again, you might not see them again. So what is the most impactful intervention I can have? And sometimes that is, you know, refilling prescription and getting them on their way. Sometimes that's admitting them to the hospital. But sometimes it's just reminding them that their life is important, Mm -hmm. that they're here for a reason and a purpose, that their issues and problems that are creating stress in their life are actually surmountable. So sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just that. What do your residents, when they're exposed to other rotations and other ways of being and doing, when they come to you, what happens? I think they get a bit of a relief. 
I think some of them are very confused. They don't know kind of what to do with this right here. <laughs> One of my thoughts, which I just think is a reflection of my own fears and my own consciousness is, yeah, I wonder often if they think that because I don't see patients quickly, that somehow that means I'm not good at what I do. So there's a fair number of them that I think probably do walk away with that opinion. Or maybe I'm just projecting that onto them. I don't know. It, that's one of my questions <laughs> that I'm asking myself about others' perception of me. Like, that's probably one of my biggest struggles is knowing that I practice medicine differently from other people and what I do is good and I'm good at what I do. And I don't have to do it like everyone else, you know. Some of the residents kind of appreciate that or, or kind of go yeah. back and say, you know, this is a good example for me. Yes, definitely. I think at least half of them really develop an appreciation for my approach. Mm -hmm. Actually, one of our chief residents this year wants to do an elective in integrative medicine, which is taking the whole patient into perspective, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. So I'm going to be working with her on that. Excellent. Yeah, I'm excited about it. So I would say half of them really take to it, or at least they're intrigued enough to be like, huh, you know, to give it a second thought. So mm -hmm. those who are at a place where they can learn from it and appreciate it, they do. And I also, the other thing I tell my students and my residents you get to decide what kind of doctor you want to be. You get to decide. Right. <laughs> so let me just show you another potential way that that could look. And you get to decide. That's excellent advice for future doctors. One day I'd love to have an integrative wellness center, like a huge health clinic that has everything, right, that can support a person with mind, body, spirit. But I'm a long way away from that. Okay. I really look at how I am using integrative medicine or practicing integrative medicine right now. I really look at it as the same way as how I'm practicing ministry, because it's exactly the same in the sense that it's much less about what I do and what services I offer. It's more about how I be when I'm with patients, how I see them. So my goal with the resident that I'm going to, the chief resident that I'll be working with next year is for her to approach every single patient, seeing them from all spheres of their person, you know, physical, mental, emotional, and spirit, not just the mental, not just the physical, but all of it for whatever they need in that moment. So for me, it's about the approach more than anything right now. And then that approach and that patient will guide what the prescription will be, if that makes mm. sense. So you anticipate working as a team? Well, we won't even have a clinic. We don't even have a clinic. She'll have a clinic because she has outpatients she'll be following. I don't even have a clinic. All of my clinical work is in the emergency department. But what I'm helping her to do is build a foundation so that as she sees her patients, she asks those questions regardless of what setting she sees a patient in whether she sees that patient in her outpatient clinic, in the emergency department, in the inpatient unit, can you approach every single person, every single patient, looking at them from all four spheres, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual? Well, that is an awesome mission. 
and the big one. And wow. And what would you tell them as well, medical students and residents, since you supervise them and work with them about their self-care? I think the biggest message is that self-care is not optional. I'm guilty of having my list of things to do. And my self-care thing might be the if I get to it category. Mm -hmm. But that really doesn't work. <laughs> like, it's got to be in the the first thing I do is my self-care and then I get to everything else. So that would be my recommendation to medical students and residents. It's not optional. It's not optional. So what is your self-care, Keisha? If you don't mind sharing. It varies. The real answer is it varies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're all human. That's for Where sure. Where I am today with it is I do my best to take some time for myself every day. Some days that's 10 minutes. Some days it's an hour. Some days it's more. Some days that means a 15-minute meditation. Some days that means giving myself the luxury of binge watching some TV for an hour. Some days it's a walk outside, a 30-minute walk. But every day I do my best to take some time that is not devoted to anyone other than me. That doesn't seem to benefit anyone but me. <laughs> Good. Um, and that's where I am with my self-care right now. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think that's very helpful because, yeah, being consistent with one thing every day is, is tough sometimes. Mm -hmm. And depending on the need, it's not always the same thing. Oh. You know, there are other things, you know, some days I make music, other days I go for a walk, other days I'm talking to a friend. Or, yeah, I do binge watch TV too, <laughs> you know, and I cuss. <laughs> that feels good sometimes too. Like, hey, we're human. I'm human. So, yes, it's taken into account that it's great if it's super disciplined and consistent, but sometimes that's just not realistic. And depending on the personality, too, you know. Yeah, because everybody's self-care is different. Yep. And it's also the thought that it has to be something that happens at a specific time every day. Like, ideally, I'd love to have my me time in the morning before anybody else in the house wakes up. But... You know, I got to tell you, my biggest wins are days when chaos is happening all around me or I just get that little nudge that, oh, I'm just feeling some kind of way right now. Mm -hmm. And I drop everything and just go for a walk. Like, that's good self-care. Excellent. Wise words. Keisha, I'm going to say thank you so much for talking with me about What's faith got to do with it? And clearly faith got to do with a lot <laughs> as your personal grounding and that you're able to show up for your patients and for your family and in line at the supermarket. Hey, <laughs> in a grounded way, but it's not an ego thing. It's not like I'm holier than thou and I'm coming in saying I'm the minister and I'm going to take care of everybody. But it's just really in your own spirit, how you see the world, how you see your role in it. And so this is exciting. And thank you so much for sharing your perspectives because I think it's pretty unique. And I think not often talked about, about the impact of faith on a physician's life and not just in their professional role, but in their personal role, how they see themselves in the world. And so I thank you for opening up that conversation. We want to remind you that if you do want coaching support right now, all you have to do is go to docworking.com and you can check out our coaching opportunities for you to get a certified coach who is experienced in working with physicians. Also, if you're not on our newsletter yet, you got to get over to docworking.com today and sign up. That's how you find out about all kinds of offers and resources that we have available to you. 
So until next time, thanks so much for being with us here on Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Amanda Taran. I'm the producer of the Doc Working Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like and subscribe. We would also love it if you checked out our website, which is docworking.com. And you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. On Instagram, we are docworking1, and that is with the number one. When you check us out on social, please let us know what you would like to hear on the podcast. Your feedback really means a lot to us. And if you're a physician with a story you'd like to tell, please reach out to me at amanda at docworking.com to apply to be on the podcast. Thank you again, and we look forward to talking with you on the next episode of Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast.